Thank you for taking the Lutheran Ferry to church this morning, uh, <laughs> attaching the pontoons to your car. We're glad you're here. As Laura mentioned, we are um, in the book of Esther today for a, a brief overview, uh, a great book. If you've never read it, you've got to spend some time in it. Um, movies have been made because it's so ironic and there are twists and turns and uh, great outcomes and a beautiful story. So as uh, Laura mentioned, she filled you in a little bit on the story. I will take a brief couple minutes here up front to talk about Esther and fill in some of the parts. I won't be able to get to all the details because it's so thick and nuanced. But basically four characters that we want to know about this morning. Esther, who was a Jewish orphan in Persia. She was in Persia with her people, the Jews, because they had been captured and brought into this land uh, in captivity. So she was humble, she was poor, she was an orphan. So the least likely person to become a queen in that nation. She was being raised by her older cousin named Mordecai, good guy, um, bright guy, intelligent, faithful man of God. And the two bad guys that we want to mention, at least for our purposes this morning, the king of Persia, Xerxes, starts with an X, King X, King Xerxes, a foolish man, an evil man, and his henchman, Haman, Laura mentioned him too, bad guy, <clears throat> Haman didn't like the Jews. So he goes to his boss, King Xerxes, and says, make a proclamation that we will kill all the Jews. King Xerxes, Xerxes being foolish and evil, says, okay. So a strange thing happens. King Xerxes is at a banquet, and he's shamed by his wife, Queen Vashti. She embarrasses him. So all of his attendants say to King X, King Xerxes, get rid of her. She's an embarrassment. Find another queen. And the foolish King Xerxes says, well, how should I do it? And they literally come up with this idea that they'll have a national beauty pageant of all the hot chicks in Persia and will uh, take a long time, like a couple years, to prepare them with beauty treatments and the like, and we'll have a beauty pageant and you can choose. Well, somehow this orphan Jewish captive girl, Esther, gets drawn into it because she's very beautiful. And she wins. King Xerxes chooses her. So this poor, humble, Jewish captive girl goes from the lowest spot in society to the very highest spot in society. She's now the queen of all of Persia. Well, Mordecai, the cousin of hers who is raising her, a Jew, finds out that Haman and Xerxes want to kill all the Jews in Persia, including her. They don't, Xerxes and Haman don't know that Queen Esther is a Jew. So Mordecai tells her, Esther, you've got to go to your husband, the king, and stop this or we're all going to die. And here's where we pick up our text for this morning. Let me read to you from Esther in the fourth chapter. This is Esther speaking. She says, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being invited, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends his gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are on Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. May it please God that we would benefit from the reading of his holy word this morning. Let's come together in prayer. Father, this morning we're focusing on being treasured and chosen. 
And what your word says to me this morning, what your word says to your church this morning is that we are treasured and chosen. So let us use the story of Esther to encourage us, to inspire us, to teach us so that we might understand that we are indeed treasured and chosen for specific things, for your glory, for your kingdom. May it all happen to your glory and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. We pray this all in your son's name, Jesus, and together we all say, amen. So treasured and chosen, treasured and chosen. The first thing we want to talk about this morning is that God chose Esther for a unique position. We've talked about that a little bit. God chose Esther for a unique position. I mean, who gets to be the queen of a country, right? Um, Two texts to talk about here. The first one from Esther 2 in the 17th verse. The king was attracted to Esther. This is part of that national beauty pageant, that bizarre story. Uh, Was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti, the old insubordinate queen. So God chose her for a unique position and worked this bizarre national beauty pageant for his purposes. And one more piece here from Esther 4, it's a little bit later. This is Mordecai talking. Remember, this is Esther's older cousin who's raising her. He tells her, once they find out that the Jews are to be killed, if you remain silent at this time, my cousin Esther, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. We'll be saved, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther, it seems like you've come to this royal position for such a time as this, this unique position God has chosen to put you here so that you can go to your husband, the king, and say, don't kill the Jews. I happen to be a Jew. God puts us in unique positions. Uh, Esther is not the only biblical character certainly to be put in extraordinary circumstances for God's purposes. We can make a whole list. Old Testament, Joseph, Jeremiah. How about Mary, the mother of Jesus? Saul, who became Paul, Peter, Levi, who becomes Matthew, Noah. How about that interesting story of Jonah that we just wrapped up a couple weeks ago? Did he get put in an interesting and unique position for God's circumstances, for his purposes? Yeah, you bet. And you, church, have been placed in your specific circumstances for God's purposes. He's placed you in your family for his purposes. He's placed you in this geographic location. For some reason, God wants you to be in Northeast Ohio. He puts you in your place of work or your school. He's placed you in this time in history. You were alive in 2021 for his purposes. He's placed you in this family, in this church family. He's placed you in your societal, uh, your social groups for his purposes. And he's uniquely equipped you. He's made you a homemaker or a warehouse worker. You're a teacher or a firefighter. God has made you an accountant or a hairdresser or a plumber for his purposes because he has a plan for you. He's using you. You are treasured and you are chosen. He made you a little league coach or uh, the fact that you understand that you're an American and enjoy these freedoms, that you're smart. Maybe you're good with tools. You're tall. You're young and innocent. You're old and wise. God has placed you in these positions for his purposes. He has you there because he treasures you and he has chosen you for his work. Well, number two for us this morning, God chose Esther to see his promises kept. She was in this position for many reasons, but one one of the reasons is uh, so that she could see God's promises kept. He is a promise keeper. 
God had promised to maintain the Jews throughout history. And we'll read about that in a second. But he promised Abram, who became Abraham, I will make you a mighty nation and I will defend you for a specific purpose. And we'll get to that purpose in a moment. But let's read about this promise God made to Abram. The Lord said to Abram, who again, of course, becomes Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So we understand that God is a promise keeper, a a God who promises to maintain his people um, even through all parts of history. He keeps promises. We see this in 1 Kings 8.56. Praise be to the Lord, who has given rest to his people Israel, just as he promised And not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. One more scripture to show you to prove the fact that God is a a God who keeps his promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for no matter how many promises God has made, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen, that is the fact that we all agree, is spoken to us by the Glory of God. We'll sing those words in a song following the sermon. God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. Genesis 17, God comes to this man, Abraham, Abram, and he's way beyond childbearing age. I mean, it's not even close. And his wife, Sarai, who becomes Sarah. And he promises them that they're going to have a child. This can't happen. (laughs) They're way beyond childbearing age. But God keeps his promises. And miraculously, they have a son named Isaac. The Hebrews are escaping Egypt, right, out of slavery. And the Egyptian army is chasing them. And they're up against the sea. And certainly, they'll die. If they go forward, they'll drown. If they stay and fight, they'll be defeated. They are finished. But God promised to maintain them. So he opens the sea. And they cross safely. And the Egyptians chase them. And God closes the sea and drowns the enemy. God is a promise keeper. Some Christians pray the promises of God. Take some time this week. Pray and say, God, you promised to give me wisdom. Please give me wisdom. Pray the promises of God. God, you promised to give me strength. This week, would you give me strength? God, please give me courage. You promised to do that. Your presence. Lord, supply all of my needs. You've promised to do that. Lord, would you supply me with comfort? You've promised to do that. This week, take some time and pray the promises of God. Number three, God chose Esther to see that he protects his people for his purpose. So both of those blanks are important to fill in, protects his people, but the last part is really important too, for his purposes. God has a plan for us and is using us in his kingdom for his purpose. At the end of the book of Esther, the ninth chapter, we see the the resolution that the Jews indeed are saved. Esther 9.1. The enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. God chose Esther to see that he protects his people, but he does it for his purposes. Now you're saying, Pastor Mark, I know the Bible says that God protects his people and I want to trust that and believe it, but there's been times in my life that I've prayed for protection from something and I got to be honest with you, it seems like he didn't. We prayed for my dad to be healed of cancer, and he didn't. And I know of godly people who've, who've claimed this promise of protection, and, and they're God people, and it, the Bible says that he protects people, but it seems like he doesn't. What, do, what am I supposed to do with that? 
And that's a challenge for Christians, isn't it? What, how can this be? God's a promise keeper. He doesn't lie, but it seems like he lifts his veil of protection from us for some, for some reason. Um, four things briefly to, to do a quick aside here to talk about that. It, important. First of all, God uses pain, and we've talked about this a lot, and stuff, the garbage of life, in our life for his purposes, that that would move us toward him. That when cancer comes, when a loved one dies, we would run to him and not shake a fist at heaven and say, you promised to protect me, but to instead run to our loving shepherd, the one who loves us. Secondly, Romans 8, God uses all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. We know this scripture well. We cling to it. Somehow God is using the garbage of life together with everything for his glory and for your good. It's a mystery now. Don't discount the idea of time. This isn't the end of the story. The garbage that happens now isn't the way this ends. We know from Scripture that for those of us in Christ, our ending is very, very, very good. And even though Paul says we suffer, he says this momentary suffering is nothing compared to the glory which is ours in Christ Jesus. Thirdly, God hasn't lost control when the garbage of life comes upon you, it's not like he's out of control. Remember the resurrection. As I just said, our story ends very well. And this is a small detail for us right now. And even in the time when you are considering that God doesn't seem to be protecting you, he is. Look for it. Look for the bigger picture. Look for the little deliverances through these ordeals. God promises to protect his people for his purposes. Uh, Number four, God chose Esther and the Jews, here it is, to preserve the line to Jesus. This is the important part. So why would God want to protect the Jews? Well, because it is through the Jews that Messiah will come, that Jesus will come. Jesus was a Jew. He was the line of David, uh, the tribe of Judah, wasn't he? And if the Jews are annihilated, then Jesus can't come. And Jesus had to come. 2 Timothy 2.8, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead is from where? He descended from David, the king of the Jews. David now bows to the capital K, king of the Jews. The whole point of God saving the Jews in this story of Esther is that he would maintain a line to Jesus. So why is this so important? I mean, Jesus always in church, crosses everywhere. This is who we talk about so much because he changed everything. Um, this bridge is great. I don't know if Pastor John or Pastor uh, Tim joked about it. I'm glad it holds me. Not sure it would. Uh, but let's pretend like the chasm that it spans is really long, like 12 miles. And here we all are on this side, and this bridge isn't here yet, and this is evil and death and confusion and unrighteousness and cancer and violence and all the garbage of life. And over there, 12 miles away, is the good stuff. Health and life and vision and hope and forgiveness and love and joy and prosperity. But we can't, we can't get over there because sin is the gap between us. Remember, this is 12 miles. I could jump with a good running start. I'd get about 18 feet. I wouldn't get 12 miles and you wouldn't get much farther. So we needed a way from here to there. And Messiah came, Jesus came through the line of David, these Jews And this Jewish Messiah, Jesus, is our Messiah. And he created a way. He made a bridge. And not only does he let us walk across it, he actually came across and got into the mess and the garbage and the darkness of life and picks us up and carries us across and now places us in the place of beauty and hope and provision and deliverance 
and grace. And he did that by means of the cross, didn't he? That he died our death, that he paid what we owe to the Father because of our sin. God maintained the Jews in the story of Esther so that the line to Jesus could be maintained. Read the book of Matthew. We always skip over, right? It's the the lineage that leads up to Jesus, all those names. And he begat him, and he begat him, and he begat him. That's the line of the Jews from David to Jesus. Number five, God chose Esther to see that he uh, rescues in peculiar and unexpected ways. God chose Esther. He wanted her to see that he rescues in peculiar and unexpected ways. Didn't we just talk about it, that the the least likely person in all of Persia would become the queen (laughs) through these circumstances that God orchestrated? Didn't we just spend a whole bunch of weeks in Jonah What a bizarre story that God's servant who was in a time of rebellion would get swallowed by a fish and spend three days in that fish's belly and then be vomited up so that he could take good news to the people of Nineveh. What about you? What peculiar way and unusual circumstances has God used to bring you to Christ? Or what peculiar and um, unimaginable circumstances is God using for you to be an agent of change in someone's life for their good and for God's glory that they would know Jesus. Buffalo Bill Cody was a veteran of the Civil War. He went out west after the war and hunted buffaloes. That's how he got his name. You might know this, I know this, that he then created the Buffalo Bill Wild West Show. He brought it back east with uh, trick horse riders and trick shooting and the whole thing. And It was a big success, very circus-like. For a while, he employed Chief Sitting Bull. He was a Sioux... Um, Sioux Nation chief from out west. And after the crowds had gone and they were sitting around the fire, ready to go to bed for the show the next day, they would sit around and talk about deeper things. Did you know that Chief Sitting Bull was a Christian? He became a Christian because missionaries had gone west and ministered to the Sioux people and told them of the love and grace and forgiveness and mercy of Jesus. And that, that can be yours too, you Sioux Nation, if you repent and confess and become a child of God. Chief Sitting Bull took that promise and now is walking with Christ. Well, here he is sitting around the campfire with Buffalo Bill Cody, and he starts telling him about Jesus. And Buffalo Bill Cody eventually becomes a Christian. What a miraculous set of circumstances that missionaries would go west and minister to the Sioux people. Chief Sitting Bull becomes a Christian, goes back east, gets hired by this bizarre circus-like show, would be sitting around the campfire with Buffalo Bill Cody and he tells him about Jesus and Buffalo Bill Cody becomes a Christian. God uses particular and unexpected circumstances and ways to tell people about his son. Finally this morning, God has chosen the church to spread the gospel. We talked about God treasuring and choosing Esther for many things. Now we're talking about us. And we're talking about the church, the organized church, Royal Redeemer and churches like us and what we call the invisible church, people who are Christians around the world acting in Christ-like ways, using his word to tell people about Jesus. Look at 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. But you are a chosen people, that's us, that's the church, church, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? So that we might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into the wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God has chosen the church to spread the gospel, to tell people about Jesus. Let me read you the same passage, but from a different translation called the Amplified Bible. Words have been added 
um, here by saints in the later years to help us better understand. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a consecrated nation, a special people for God's own possession so that you might proclaim the excellencies which are the wonderful deeds and virtues and perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people at all, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's us, church. God treasures us and has chosen us to spread the gospel. It's the sixth week after Pentecost in the official church calendar. Pentecost, the birthday of the church. Remember, um, the Holy Spirit comes and the sound of the rushing wind and the flames of fire above the apostles' heads and they're speaking in tongues and the church is born. And now we have the obligation and the privilege to be the church and to share the gospel. According to the Pew Research Group, which is a secular research group, in 1900, about 121 years ago, less than 1% of Koreans were Christian. Now, 121 years later, about 30% of South Koreans are Christians. And this was done largely through the work of the church and our missionaries, going to this beautiful continent and telling the people of Christ's love God has chosen the church to be the gospel, to go out and tell people about Jesus. A book written by a man named Randy Newman called Improbable Stories of Faith and What They Teach Us About Evangelism, he tells a true story of a woman named Talia. She was a college student. She hated Christians. Not really because she hated them, but she thought they were foolish and did everything she could to upset them. She would speak with vulgar language and profanity in their face and act in bizarre ways. The, the, the walls of her dorm room were covered with profane and offensive posters for the, for the sheer reason to offend the Christians who were, who were in her life. Well, well, eventually these Christians who knew Talia gently and lovingly pushed back a little bit and challenged her. One day she was giving a profanity-laden um, argument to a guy who was a Christian, and she walked away, and she thought she had won the day, and, and the guy said, you know, Talia, why are you so mean? And she's cursed and, and pretended like she had won the argument. But she walked away and thought to herself, why am I so mean? Later she encountered another Christian woman who was handing out Christian literature and the saying, ripped it up, stomped on it, curse words, profanity, walked away. And as she walked away, this woman who knew her said, Talia, you going to heaven? And Talia, with some more curse words and vulgarity, walked away and pretended like she won the day. But that question too bothered her. You know, I'm not sure if there is a heaven or hell, but if there is... Am I going to heaven? So Talia came back to that woman and they started to talk. And the love of Christ fl flowed through that woman and the gospel was Talia's if, if she wanted it. And you know today she's a Christian woman walking with Jesus because God chose to use the church, both visible and invisible around the world, to spread the gospel. Church, we are treasured and chosen to be these important agents of Christ and his kingdom for his glory. Well, that's in a nutshell the quick story of Esther, how she was treasured and chosen. That in a quick nutshell is our story, that you are treasured. And as Jamie said it so well, you are known and we are equipped to be the gospel. So be the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within you. Three ways to challenge you as we wrap up this morning. These are in your worship notes. Maybe these are things you do this week. Understand that God has a unique position, uh, has you in a unique position for, your, for his plan. You are where you are. You are who you are for his plan. Number two, maybe take some time this week to pray those promises of God. 
Read through scripture and find what he promises and say, God, you promise wisdom. I need it. Give it to me, please. You promise courage. I sure could use some. Would you grant me some of that? And number three this morning, reflect on the time that God has protected you and acknowledge that it was for his purpose. Oh yeah, that one time where things were going south and he seemed to pull me through that. Thanks God, and and I know you did that for your purpose, whatever that purpose might be. Let's pray together. Treasured and chosen, these are really miraculous words when we think that the God who is busy running the universe knows me and thinks so highly of me that we use words like treasured. And also that word chosen, he chose us to be in um, his kingdom for his purposes to glorify him. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this kind of um, three-week sermon series where we got to use this cool set design up front of the room and a bridge and flowing water and that it benefited the kids for vacation Bible school and the whole thing. And We take a moment to reflect on the fact that you treasure us and that we're chosen to do your work. Would, would you help us with that? Because I am weak and I'm afraid and I'm a sinner <laughs> and it sure doesn't seem like you'd be using a chump like me to do your work but I'm exactly the kind of broken person you use to do it. And and maybe my friends can um, understand that and those thoughts resonate with them too. Only by the power of your spirit can we do that, Lord. So freely send your spirit. Let him live in us and motivate us and guide us and direct us. And it's all for the glory of the triune God that his name might be known among the nations. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and together we all say, amen.